Chris and I were talking this week about um, when we were praying, we were praying for the pandemic of fear to be lifted off the church. That is the real pandemic, yes. Um, Fear is the real chaos that's happening right now. And uh, we were praying about that. And and as we were praying, I started thinking through um, common sense and just how highly that's regarded right now. And we do value common sense. We don't devalue that. Uh, but common sense is uh, something that often gets over, overlooked, it seems like, in these Old Testament and New Testament stories. Uh, for instance, not a lot of common sense to be a first century Christian and go out and share your faith when you could be killed for that. Why would you do that? Common sense says you protect your life. Uh, not a lot of common sense when Lazarus is, uh, is just a couple of days away, uh, to, just a couple miles away to, to wait until he's good and dead to go heal him. I, I wouldn't wait for uh, my brother Chris uh, to die until I brought him medicine. Common sense would say I'd go and take him medicine. And there's over and over and over these stories of believers being led by the Holy Spirit and doing what seems opposite of human wisdom. Because where does wisdom come from? the one who is wise. Wisdom comes from the Lord. There is no wisdom of man that stacks up anywhere close to the wisdom of the Lord. Yes, the Lord gave man wisdom, but it's subservient to the wisdom of the Lord. My kids said to me the other day at dinner, "Uh, Dad, what was going on a thousand years ago? I said, whoa, let me finish this bite and think about 1020 AD. What was happening back then. And so we started talking. I ended up looking it up, but okay, there was like, you know, wars in, in, the, in the Finnish tribes and 300,000 troops went against this one and AD 1000 something and one general broke a dam and all but 10,000 of the 300,000 guys died and all these massive stories that happened. And as I was saying this to my kids, I was reminded of the verse, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And so I said, kids, what was yesterday like? I think this was Saturday. I said, what was Friday like? Was that a long day? Oh no, what? We did lunch, we did breakfast, we did lunch, we did school, and then we went to bed. And I said, that's how the Lord thinks about 1020 AD to 2020 AD. Like that, he's there in that moment. And so we're borrowing wisdom from a God who's literally seen it all. We're borrowing wisdom. Where does it come from? In his bosom, he hands it out. He willingly gives it out to those who ask. And so I take my tin cup to the ocean of God's wisdom and I get wisdom. And the next day, I hopefully come back with a five-gallon bucket and with a tanker and I get more and more and more. But it is mine for the asking. He gives it freely away and he never runs out. But I'm speaking to a God is eternal outside of time. His ways are higher than my ways. Why kill his son on the cross? Why would he do that? Absolutely backwards to the way we think it should happen. Why David Brainerd, I was reading about him, this missionary to the Native American Indians, died at 29 years old, tuberculosis spitting up blood in the snow. Why? What a waste. He was going to marry Jonathan Edwards' daughter. They had this, enge- this engagement. It was beautiful. They were going to just change the world. And he dies at 29 before he and Jerusha, I believe, could get married. Why? Because Jonathan Edwards wrote a little tiny book on his life, and about 50, 60 years later, the seed of his life exploded into worldwide missions, because John 12 is true. Unless a seed falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The Lord is after fruit. And so we sang it tonight, take my life 
and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. If I've got six months left or 60 years left, use every one of them for your glory. I will not live in fear about what I might lose in the meantime because it's going to get really, really, really good. Amen? Really soon? It's going to be so good. We haven't even lived yet. We're in the womb. It's going to get really good. Might get a little bit harder before it gets really good, but I promise it's going to get really good forever and ever. Nothing to fear. So I was thinking this afternoon, I had several things uh, that I've been studying lately, and I just was asking the Lord, what, what's on your heart for the saints tonight? And um, I, want, I want to speak to you f- from my heart <clears throat> I want to be careful as a 30-something-year-old guy not to get outside of my lane. Uh, there's a lot of voices right now in the, in, in the church that I way, way, way respect. Um, and and I've, I've got a little bit of some differing opinions on some things right now in society, and I just want to talk about that. And, I, and I, I'm praying and I'm hoping that what I say here today, it's divided soul and spirit, and you hear the word in this. You don't hear my opinion. I've got plenty of opinions myself, but I want to say what I believe is a word in season for us as it regards fear. A spirit of fear that I sense is pervasive in the world. Yeah, can anybody sense it if you go out into the world everywhere? Fear, fear, fear. But I, I, my perception is that we must be on guard as the church because the spirit of fear can sneak in. Uh, and, and we ought to be on guard about that. In Matthew 24, remember this with me. When the disciples asked Jesus, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And I've said this before. What was his first sentence back to them? Beware that you are not deceived. Very first thing he says back is, don't be deceived. Be on guard against deception. Why is that? Well, we know the Antichrist spirit is in the earth already, and he has been in the earth. And we know that when the Antichrist comes, he will deceive many. And so in the end days, I'm telling you, truth is going to be on the low, and deception is going to be on the high. And so he says, you got to watch out. Be careful. No matter what I'm about to tell you, he says, about the end of time and dates, and he doesn't tell them dates or anything like that, but about the signs, number one, if you don't hear anything else I'm about to say, as if he's saying, don't be deceived. And I sense that there's deception right now, even creeping into the church. And I want to talk about that. So um, fear, as the renowned theologian salesman Zig Ziglar said, is false evidence appearing real. It's not in the Bible, but it's a good quote. Fear, false evidence appearing real. It's really good to remember that. Fear looks like the truth sometimes. It appears real, but really it's just a big bubble with nothing really inside of it. 365 times in Scripture, you guys remember, fear not, one for every day of the year. Joshua, getting ready to go in and take the new land, what does he tell him? Be strong and courageous. Don't fear, don't fear, don't fear, don't fear. He says it to us, don't fear, little flock. Don't live in fear. Greater is he that is in you than he is that against you. In the, in the world, don't worry about it. He says, I'll take care of you. How do we train our kids to conquer the spirit 
of fear. For instance, I'm afraid of public speaking. It was petrifying to me as a child. All the way through school, petrified of public speaking. Well, what do you do? You test them. So we're tested. So I go to a public speaking class in high school and shake and, and get through it, right? What if I'm afraid of failure? What do we do with our kids? We give them tests so that they fail. And then they learn it's going to be okay. What if they're afraid of sinking and drowning? We throw them into the pool. The point of all this is that we take our kids through tests so that we get to the other side of the test with them and we say, see, it's all going to be okay. The big fear that you thought was going to happen didn't happen. Now, go back and do it again. Go back and speak. Go take the test again. Go jump in the pool again. It's exactly what the Lord's doing with us right now. What are you majorly afraid of? Losing my life, losing my job, losing my house, my spouse, my child, just getting sick in general. Fear of what people are thinking about me right now. What are you afraid of? And the Lord brings these tests like fire and they expose. We get to the other side and we're like, oh, I made it through. I'm going to be okay. So we're in the middle of a test right now. There's freedom on the other side of my kid's bondage. My child who's afraid of public speaking is in bondage like I was. On the other side of that, there's freedom. I want freedom for my child. I don't want to hurt them by making them speak in public, but I do want them to be free. The Lord's after our freedom. We've been called, set free in Christ Jesus, yes? So fear, I think it's really important to look at the headwaters of an issue in Scripture. Like, for instance, what was the first time prophecy was used? I've taught on this before. The first time prophecy is even mentioned is when Moses is, is prophesying with the men in the camp and the Lord says, I'll pour out my spirit. And then two guys start prophesying and Joshua says, stop, stop, stop. It's out of order. It's out of bounds. It's not in the 70 some men that you chose. And Moses says, would that all God's servants were prophets. And so what's helpful for me in that is looking at prophecy and saying, oh, there was warfare about it being out of bounds from the beginning. And that's exactly what we're dealing with today. Well, what if somebody misspeaks or gives a wrong word? We have to test that and prove that. This is all true, by the way, but I'm telling you there's tension around that. Fear. What's the headwaters of fear? And let's go back with me to the Garden of Eden and Genesis chapter 3. They take the apple They hear the sound of the Lord. They hide. God says, where are you, Adam? And he says, I was afraid, and so I hid. So right off the bat, with sin comes death. Part of the ramifications of sin and death is this thing called a spirit of fear. And what does fear make us do? Two things. It makes us hide and protect always hide away, protect myself, put a wall up, guard, arm's length distance. We all know what this is at one level or another. At all costs, we hide and protect. Matthew 25, 25 kind of parses this out a little bit more for us. The man with the talents, the man gets the five, the two, the one. The man with one talent says, I was afraid, so I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, here, it's, it's yours. I give it back to you. And he says, 
you're a worthless servant. You're an unbeliever. You're a terrible. I'm going to cast you out. And so there's this hiding that we always go back to. And because I don't want to lose the talent the Lord's given me, so I'm just not going to risk anything. I'll just keep it close. Hide and protect at all costs. Slavery, we sang it again tonight. I love all the songs Luke chose tonight. It really was lining up with what the Lord had in my heart. Slavery is a mindset of fear. If I'm a bad employee, I get fired. But freedom for sons says, I'm a son no matter what. I'm in the Father's house. I could screw it all up and I get it all back again. I come all the way back from squandering his riches and I get welcomed back in the house. Hebrews 2 says that Jesus, by his death, destroyed him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. And he set free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Praise the Lord to be a believer destined for heaven, sealed with the Holy Spirit. I don't want to die, but I'm telling you guys, it's going to get really good when I die. Amen? That's the doorway to when it gets really, really good. I win the eternal lottery when I die. I can't wait. It's going to be great. It's better for my wife and kids that I'm here now. I hope I'm here a long time. Praise the Lord. Paul's like, I'd rather depart, but for your sake, it's good that I'm here. But some people don't think that way. Some people and even some Christians can live in slavery to what if I die? What if? Think through the consequences with me. The Christian, though, and I read this earlier, says it this way, Psalms 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Isn't that so good? Come on, can we say it together? The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Man, we can say that every single day, and it's so powerful. Walking into a difficult meeting, difficult relationship situation, a difficult circumstance with health, of whom shall I be afraid? What, am, what is going to make me fear? I've got the light inside of me. Amen? This is a powerful response. None of God's children need to be slaves or servants to a spirit of fear. Okay, here's the, here's the crux of what I want to say. Did you know that despair is a spirit? Isaiah 61. I think Thomas Kellenbarger quoted this last week. Isaiah 61 says... Instead of a spirit of despair, we get a garment of praise. The Amplified says, instead of a heavy, burdened, failing spirit of despair. So evil spirits tormented Saul, David worship, they left. This is not just a mood. This is a spirit. This is an entity we're talking about here. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, fear is a spirit, lowercase spirit. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind or self-discipline. This is the human spirit interaction we're talking about here. We didn't get that spirit from God. We got a different spirit. And I love that this, this passage here really, I think, is helpful to look at a little bit closer because it says that the fearful word that... that The timid word there means cowardly or coweringly fearful, cringingly fearful. But we got 
power and love and a sound mind, which is a mind delivered from carnal fears. We got a calm, well-balanced mind governed by self-control. So look with me for a minute what happens when fear moves in. When a spirit of fear moves in, the inner man becomes weak. Paul's all the time praying, strengthen them in their inner man. Why? Because we can become weak in our inner man. Yes, I pray they'd be strengthened in their inner man. That's because today I'm strong, tomorrow I'm weak. I have to daily be renewed by the Holy Spirit. So when fear, when a spirit of fear moves in, our soul gets out of control, y'all. What happens? Our soul is made up, our will, our mind, and our emotion, yes? So look what happens to our will. Spiritual power moves out. We lose power. God didn't give us fear. He gave us power. Meaning, if we have fear, we don't have the spirit of power anymore. So we lose our will to to exercise the power that the Lord's given us. When the spiritual power moves out, our emotion is next. We lose our love. Our love for the brethren and the lost around us. And our love for God, most importantly, moves out. So our will has been affected by a spirit of fear. Now our emotions have been affected by a spirit of fear. We're seeing that today, by the way, because lawlessness is increasing. The love of many is growing cold. I'm telling you, there's a spirit on this. We have to watch out. I need my love to be stirred up, and you do too in this time. Lastly, our minds. When our will is out of control because of the spirit of fear and our emotions out of control, then we lose the soundness of our mind. Reason and sanity is gone. Common sense, according to the sense the father has, the wisdom the father has, is gone. Professing to be wise, they became fools. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Truly foolishness being played out in front of us every day. So, fear. Here's one fear, just to get right to the point. What if crazy Marxist politicians are about to take control of the United States government and lead us into national suicide? No, just me? Okay. All right, so fear. What if it's all about to go down? What if America's done and over with? Well, here is a balanced response. When I get the spirit of fear off of me, perfect love drives out fear, and I get my power and love and a sound mind back, I say, my response is to pray for my leaders, honor my civic duties, and vote like I need to vote, and rest in the peace of Christ. Because my days are in his hands, yes? This country is in his hands, yes? All of what I said might be true, but if I'm in a spirit of fear, I'm all kinds of discombobulated and wrong. I'm wrong-headed. I'm wrong in my thinking and my soul's all stirred up. Yeah, everybody know what I'm talking about? I lose my peace. Here's a verse that Sam sent me earlier this week. It was super helpful. In Job chapter 12, this is how I remind myself, this is how I align myself with reality with the nation. It's something like this. He uncovers the deeps out of darkness and brings deep darkness to light. He makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and he leads them away. Look at this. He takes away understanding from the chiefs of the people of the earth and he makes them wander 
in trackless wastes. They grope in the dark without light and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. That's the hand of the Lord doing that. That's not my voting responsibility ramifications or my other people that I know that voted differently than I did. That's the hand of the Lord doing that. He makes one nation great. He brings one down. I can rest in the sovereign hand of the Lord. That's how I remind myself of the truth. That's a well-balanced response. Here's another fear. Coronavirus has a small but real chance of killing me, and now every handshake and every door handle is a passage to death. All right. Spirit of fear comes in. Some of what I said might have been true, but a spirit of fear grips you, and you lose your soundness of mind. And so here's a balanced response. I pray. I pray for health and safety. I take reasonable health precautions as led, and I rest in the peace of Christ because my days are in his hands. It's about to get really, really good, and there's nothing to fear. I am going to obey the Lord when he says, do not worry. I'm not going to sin by worrying. Everybody knows that is a sin, right? It's not like a little worry is okay because that's just what good, responsible adults do. No, it's a sin. And we reap what we sow. And so the Lord says, if, if, if you're going to come back from that fear, how do, you, how do you align your mind? Do it with Psalms 91. I love Psalms 91. It's so helpful for me in the, in the midst of where we're at today. I don't think, I, I don't know if I have it up there. Do I have it up there, Dina? Psalms 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He is. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield around you, your protection and rampart. Listen, you will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness. They're the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. Listen, verse 11, for he, and this is what he's doing for us. This is why I'm praying this for me and my family. I'm praying this for you. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Every step you take, they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Psalms 91. You remember in, uh, in Luke chapter 21, Jesus is again talking about the end of days and he's talking about how men's hearts will fail because of fear. It's going to be terrible times, Luke 21 says. And he says, people are going to not respond well in those days. They'll be fleeing to the mountains. They will be crying out. Let the rocks fall on us, actually, at one point. But you, Jesus says 
You, the church, in verse 28, when these things begin to take place, what do you do? Stand up and lift up your head because your redemption is drawing near. That's our response. When everybody else is cowering and hiding because of fear, we stand up and we lift up our head. Why? Because Jesus is coming. And it's going to be really good for those people who run out to greet him. We are not those who shrink back, but we press forward. There will be much groaning on that day, but not for me. I want to be shouting, it's true, it's true. My faith has been turned to sight. We were at the lake this last week, and my boy Amos, how old are you now? Six, seven, eight, nine, seven, right. Seven-year-old Amos came up to me. He said, Dad, I'm trying to make a sword. I want you to break this stick for me. It had two pieces on it. Yes, son. Ugh, can't break it. Just bending. And I'm like, oh, your dad's strong, but Amos, is, what's happening is this stick is full of sap. And as I said that, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, dry sticks break easily. And I thought, we're bent, but we're not broken because we're full of sap. The oil of the Holy Spirit, you know who's doing really well during the pandemic? People filled with the Holy Spirit. Honestly, people longing for heaven their better home. People are like, I'm not in love with this world. I kind of put up with this world. I'm in it, but I'm not of it. Heaven's so much better. Oh yeah, pandemic, whatever. Yeah, if I die, I die. That's gonna, I'm not aloof. I'm going to take precaution. I'm going to do that. But man, heaven, those are the people doing real well. They're bent. I had that stick all the way down. Then I had to like wrap the bark around it, finally get it broken in half, you know. May we be filled with oil during these last days so that we can be bent and not broken. People who have no oil inside of them, snap, it's done. One little bit of pressure put on them, they're done. They're finished. And like Mike Bickle says at IHOP, we're swimming upstream against a one mile an hour current right now. If I've read my Bible, and I have, and I know Jesus, and I do, he's promised us that five mile an hour currents and 10 and 20 mile an hour currents are coming. May we practice and get our muscles moving a little bit here and build up some strength in our inner man and not bow down to fear. This is the word. You can leave now if you need to leave and get home early because that's the word. We don't want to bow down to fear. I want to I warn us that there's a temptation right now to do what the world's doing. Even though we are in the world, we're not of the world, there's a temptation to be like the world and it's dangerous. So, for just the last few minutes here, walk with me through the book of John, if you would. I want to point out just a quick progression. Start in John 7, if you would. I did a word search on this the other day, just fascinated by what I saw here. John chapter 7, you remember uh, the man who was, uh, I'm sorry, the crowds when Jesus showed up. Uh, at the Festival of Tabernacles. There was Jewish leaders watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about Jesus. Some said he's a good man. Some said, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him because of fear of the Jewish leaders. Fear of speaking out publicly. 
chapter nine, verse 22. Jesus heals a guy. And the Jewish leaders say, all right, we want this man's parents to testify about him. And his parents say, well, you ask the boy. We don't want to say anything. And it says, verse 22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Chapter 12, they were being kicked out of the club, but look at this, 12, starting in verse 42. Now you got guys in the club. Many, even among the leaders of the Pharisees, believed into him, but Because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue for they loved human praise more than praise from God. Fear makes us do funny things, doesn't it? Actually deny the truth. Go to chapter 19. Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, Asks Pilate for the body of Jesus, 19, verse 38. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. So here you have all this buildup, this word. These are the words of fear throughout this. And then we get to Jesus' disciples. And look with me here, because I love what happens, this this crossover point here. On the evening, uh, chapter 20, Verse 19, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. After he said this, he shows, shows them his hands and his side. And what I love about this is I I believe the buildup of all these stories about fear of the Jewish leaders culminates in this story here because it's as if Jesus is saying, what you need and what you're lacking is not boldness. What you need is peace. Yeah, boldness was part of it, but what they did not have was an internal peace. Why is that? Because Ephesians tells us he himself is our peace. This is why Isaiah says there's no peace for the wicked. There can be no peace for the wicked. Ultimately, why? Because Jesus himself is our peace. Without Jesus, we don't have any peace. So believers and those who are listening online, if you don't have peace in your heart about what's going on right now, then I want to breathe this word on you like Jesus said and say, peace be with you. That's what you need right now. May the peace of God guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. During these difficult times, the disciples were locked down, silenced, hidden, and fearful. Jesus came into their locked up fearful hearts. He stood among them like he tells us to do, stand in that last day. And he said to them, he spoke a word into their hearts, peace to you. Internal peace is what was lost, is why they were fearful. Internal peace is what was restored. 
peace I leave with you, John 14 says. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. As if to say, Jesus, stand watch over my heart today, Jesus. I need you. You are my peace. I want to abide in you today, Jesus, because there's temptation for me to fear. Don't let your heart be troubled, he says. Don't let the guard down. My uh, brother-in-law, Brad, I'll finish here in just a minute, sent a text I just got today where he talked about how the study of the armor of God for him revealed that everything related back to Jesus. Jesus is all of the portion and part of the armor of God. The belt of truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. The breastplate of righteousness. Christ Jesus became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. 1 Corinthians 1. The gospel of peace. He himself is our peace, he said. The shield of faith, looking to Jesus, the founder and protector of our faith, Hebrews 12 says. The helmet of salvation, there's salvation in no one else except Christ Jesus. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. The Word was in the beginning, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he said, Brad said, we don't have to be better at putting on the armor, we just receive Jesus. He's all we need. Jesus in his life and fullness is all the protection that we need. So, I got a lot more that I wrote down, but I think that's all I wanted to say tonight.